and welcome to another edition of the Oncology for the Inquisitive Mind spin-off Onco Snacks. I am here as always with my co-conspirator Josh Hurwitz and Josh we've talked about immunotherapy and the side effects thereof quite commonly on this show but we always come back to when we're talking about immunotherapy trials and side effects we always come back to endocrinopathies and the incidence of adrenal insufficiency thyroid insufficiency hypopituitarism we it's such a common side effect of immunotherapy that we figured we would do a special special episode of onca snacks focusing specifically on thyroid axis abnormalities secondary to immunotherapy and you know us on this podcast we spare no expense and we get nothing but the best and so we've got a very very special guest an old colleague and mentor slash friend of ours from our junior days dr dahlia davidoff an endocrinologist and phd student from sydney how are you doing dahlia I'm good. Thanks for inviting me, Michael and Josh. It's great to have you and it's great to get some expertise outside our little oncology bubble because whenever we see abnormal blood tests, our first instinct is to panic and our second instinct is to call our friendly neighbourhood endocrinologist. So we're glad to have someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Oh, thanks. <laughs> before we jump into the nitty gritty, I might just talk a little bit about facts and figures before we ask Dahlia all the weird and wonderful questions that will be great for all of our practices. As Michael already highlighted, inflammation of the pituitary, thyroid, or adrenal gland can be a result of checkpoint inhibitors. And it's often nonspecific with symptoms that can be variable and difficult to diagnose, including, including nausea, headaches, fatigue, and vision changes. While the incidence of endocrinopathies is quite difficult to state due to various methods of measurement, diagnosis, monitoring, different clinical trials, it's hypothesized to be anywhere up to 40%, while up-to-date states approximately 10%. There has been a recent update that says this could actually be much higher. So for patients treated in the thyroid sphere and those that are on ipilimumab, nivolumab, pembrolizumab, or atezolizumab, and you might remember these names from previous episodes or even the combination of ipinevo, the incidence of hypothyroidism is variable but is highest in the combination drugs up to 13.2%. Interestingly, there is no significant difference in incidence of nivolumab and Pembro, which is about 6.5 versus 7.9%. And of course, hypothyroidism is far more common than persistent hyperthyroidism. But I don't want to talk any more about it because we have Dahlia here. So Dahlia, Uh, tell us, I think the first question we might ask you is someone comes in they're feeling a little off we do some thyroid function tests which we should do regularly when someone's on immunotherapy how are you going to work them up what tests or pertinent questions do you want to know with someone who's got an abnormal thyroid function test yeah definitely so firstly um i want to know what was the result of the thyroid function and then based on that i might want to know what other results show before I jump, and also what their symptoms are, before I start a management plan. 
So I thought I'd start by um, telling you how I interpret thyroid function tests, because I think that's a huge source of confusion. Um, and it took me a while when I was in my training to understand. But the message I want to give you is that the most important test to look at if to decide is there a thyroid issue is the TSH. So the TSH is the signal that comes from the pituitary gland in the brain. So the pituitary gland tells the thyroid through the TSH what it wants. So if the pituitary wants less thyroid hormone, so if it wants less, then the TSH will be less. So if the pituitary thinks, hold on, there's way too much hormone, I want less, TSH is low. So if you see a low TSH, the thyroid is overactive and it's the opposite. So if the pituitary says, oh, I noticed that there's not enough thyroid hormone, the TSH will be high because it says I want more thyroid hormone. So that's the first thing is was on the blood test, if your patient has come to clinic, whether or not they have symptoms, was the TSH high or low? So, and only after looking at the TSH, look at the T4. Um, the TSH is what I look at first. It takes four to six weeks to change, whereas the T4 can change day by day. So normally, if the TSH is high, in other words, your pituitary wants more hormone, you'll probably see that the T4 is low. So your body's not making a lot of T4. And with an overactive thyroid, which is hyperthyroidism, the TSH is low and the T4 is high. Um, so if you get a blood test where there's an underactive thyroid, so the TSH is high, I recommend checking cortisol um, to make sure um, it's not low. Um, and then if the thyroid is overactive, so if the TSH is low, um, I recommend checking thyroid receptor or TSH receptor antibodies because if you've got an overactive thyroid, it could be that an autoimmune condition called Graves' disease has been unmasked. So that's kind of the general um, basics. So then with symptoms, right? So the thing with symptoms is that if you have too little hormones, so if you have hypothyroidism, the symptoms might be very mild. For example, someone might be tired and, you know, uh, how many causes are there of fatigue? So, so that's a pretty common symptom. But the other symptoms I think of, so the other three symptoms of an underactive thyroid is weight gain, feeling very cold, um, and constipation. So I'll give you a story with feeling very cold. So I saw this patient with an underactive thyroid, and he had been wearing a jumper on a 40 degree Celsius day. So that's very hot in Australia. <laughs> So that's symptoms of an underactive. And then for an overactive thyroid, again, it could be mild. So someone might have no symptoms at all. Or the three symptoms I think of with an overactive thyroid is losing weight, palpitations, which is your heart is racing. And oh, there's a couple of others, but definitely for me, it's heat intolerance. So what I mean is it's a freezing cold day. It's snowing outside and someone's wearing a T-shirt and saying that they feel very hot. So that's a bit strange. So it could be the thyroid. That's a really great summary, Dahlia. And I, I do love your uh, 
story of wearing a jumper and long pants in a 40 degree day, anyone in Australia will know that that is quite frankly ridiculous. <laughs> I think uh, at least at least in the places I've worked, uh, to follow on from your summary of the of the biochemical abnormalities, do you have a different approach? Because we, f- we frequently check thyroid just as a matter of course when someone's on immunotherapy. We check it sort of at baseline to make sure they don't have any underlying things that may be unmasked, as you said. Uh, and we check it intermittently throughout their treatment, but fairly regularly. If we notice, if the patient is completely asymptomatic, which yeah. in my experience is normally how these things start, but you're noticing that TSH is starting to drift downwards. Does that change your workup or your urgency of workup or or even your approach? Uh, Symptoms, I think, are key because if a patient is asymptomatic, it is safe to monitor them with thyroid function testing once a month. So what I mean is check for symptoms, maybe examine them. So check that their heart rate's not too fast or too slow. So it'll be slow in an underactive thyroid. So heart rate less than 50. It'll be fast in an overactive thyroid, heart rate more than 100. Check their blood pressure is normal. Um, Check symptoms. But I feel like if their heart rate is normal, their blood pressure is normal and they don't have symptoms, I would feel comfortable monitoring them with a once a month blood test. You're always welcome to flag it with your friendly endocrinologist, but that's what I feel. Um, and that's what the guidelines suggest, that if a patient is asymptomatic, you can just follow them. And so when would you consider doing imaging of these patients? Such a good question. So the answer is you don't often have to image. So you would image if you're not sure of the diagnosis. So for example, um, if you have an overactive thyroid, the most common cause is like you said, inflammation, which is thyroiditis, where there's inflammatory destruction of the thyroid, where thyroid hormone is leaking out. Um, so if there's inflammatory destruction, which is the common cause of thyroiditis in checkpoint inhibitors, then on an ultrasound scan of the thyroid, you will see that blood supply is low. So blood supply in the thyroid is low if it's not making new hormone. But the differential diagnosis of an overactive thyroid is Graves' disease, which is an autoimmune condition, maybe that you've unmasked, where on the thyroid ultrasound, the blood flow is high. In Graves' disease, it's a condition where due to antibodies that latch onto the TSH receptor, your thyroid starts making all of this new hormone against its will. So that's one thing if you're not sure if it's Graves' disease. So maybe an ultrasound is helpful to look at blood flow. And then the other scan, which can be done if you're not sure of that diagnosis, is a thyroid uptake scan, where it again, it's a nuclear medicine scan that looks, looks at the activity of the thyroid. So how much hormone the thyroid is making. And it's a similar idea that in thyroiditis, it's not making new hormone. It's just releasing preformed hormone. So the uptake level is low. Often it's 0%. And in Graves' disease, it's high. But I don't often need to order that. So what I mean is if the thyroid is overactive and the TSH receptor antibody is normal, it's probably a thyroiditis. And I think that at least 
and please correct me if I'm wrong, Daya, in, in, in my own experience, the uh, most common pathology of abnormal thyroid functions in patients who have got immunotherapy is thyroiditis because you are getting an overactive immune system that is attacking the thyroid and, as you say, releasing all of that hormone. And that has quite a quite a uh, characteristic trajectory. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about uh, what the thyroid function and the thyroid function tests will do yeah, you know, with thyroiditis because no it's it's very characteristic. It's so interesting, right? So initially, so you've got this thyroid that was working normally. So it had this hormone that was stored in the thyroid ready to go. And then suddenly there's inflammation. So the first blood tests in the first three months normally is that the TSH is low because the thyroid is releasing too much hormone and your pituitary is saying, there's too much hormone, I want less hormone. So typically for the first three months, that hormone is being released into the circulation. Your pituitary doesn't like it, it's too much and the TSH is low. And then eventually it runs out of thyroid hormone to release. So it's released everything it's got. And then suddenly there's low levels of thyroxine in the blood and the pituitary says, where's my thyroxine? I want more thyroxine. And then the TSH in the next three months becomes high. And then after roughly three months, it goes back to normal because the inflammation settles down. The thyroid has a chance to remake that hormone that it lost and things go back to normal. But the problem, I actually should say, the problem with checkpoint inhibitor hypothyroidism is, is sometimes they never recover. Sometimes they never end up being able after that inflammation to make enough hormone for their body's needs. And sometimes the hypothyroidism keeps going. So after that three months, it's just going and going, and then you might decide to start thyroxine. And often it's permanent, but I have seen cases where it wasn't, but often it is. Well, this leads to, I think, our next and probably one of the pivotal questions and scenarios that Michael and I would face almost on a weekly or fortnightly basis. Your patient has gone through the classic signs of thyroid, autoimmune-induced thyroid problems and now they are hypothyroid they're in your clinic and we like giving drugs in oncology so without a clear directive of how the thyroid is going to recover what's your process of thyroid replacing how would you start what levels would you start at from a thyroxine standpoint lots of endocrinologists might do these things differently but having a guide of you know, you have a TSH of, in this case, let's say 20 or 25 because it's you know, pumping, wanting more T4 to be released because, you know, they're hypothyroid. What do you do, Dahlia? Yeah, no problem. I think probably internationally, most people will not argue with the number 10. So if your TSH is high and it hits 10, most people will start thyroxine because if it hits 10, especially if the next month it's still 10, it might not recover, you know, that's high. So what I mean is in most assays, the upper limit of TSH is three or four. So 10 is double that. So if you see on your assay that the TSH is double the upper limit, you should probably start thyroxine. No, even if it's the first time you see it that high, probably no one will argue that you you were trying to do the right thing. Um, so I feel like if any blood test is double, double the upper limit, it's like the body panicking. 
So give thyroxin. And so the academic answer to how much is it's based on someone's weight. So it's someone's weight multiplied by the number 1.6 is the starting dose. If you can't remember the weight multiplied by 1.6, just remember someone's weight. So for example, if you've got someone that weighs 75 kilograms, if you want to just be quick about it, you could start 75 micrograms of thyroxine per day as a start. And then whenever I start thyroxine, uh, four to six weeks later, do another blood test for TSH and free T4. So the way I titrate is, again, the most important thing is the TSH. So if the TSH is low, your pituitary thinks there's too much thyroxine. So then you need to reduce thyroxine. And then if on the repeat blood test, the TSH is high, your pituitary thinks there's not enough thyroxine. So you need to give the patient a higher dose. And so if you're wondering how often to check the blood test, so if you're worried about someone's thyroid, you could check their blood test once a month. Once you think they're pretty stable, you could check, check it twice a year or once a year. Um, and Dahlia, I think just uh, as uh, one final question, we've spoken a lot about thyroid replacement in clinical practice. That's probably what our oncology listeners will come up against the most. But coming right back to where we started, if a patient is symptomatic of hyperthyroidism and overactive thyroid, even if it is on the way down as part of the thyroiditis in that initial release, are there any simple simple measures to control the symptoms obviously en route to getting them to see their um, friendly neighborhood endocrinologist yes there are two things you can do definitely so if your patient has an overactive thyroid so a low tsh and they're having symptoms for example they're having the weight loss they're having palpitations which is a fast heart they're feeling hot or for example if they're feeling anxious and they can't sleep and sweaty and shaky the two things you can do, number one is a beta blocker. So typically it's a tenolol once a day um, or propranolol, which is two or three times a day. So um, the way you titrate the drug is check that the systolic blood pressure sitting and standing is more than 100 before you start the drug because they're blood pressure drugs. But then the second thing is you're aiming for that heart rate to be between 60 and 90. So you can change the dose every couple of days. Um, the second drug you can think of for your patient is if they're having pain in their thyroid. So the pain is, so the thyroid is located in front of the voice box. So in front of the Adam's apple um, at the very front. And in fact, when they press, it hurts. If they're having pain, give them anti-inflammatories or prednisolone. That's some sage, sage words of wisdom, Dahlia. I think... We're, we're so fortunate to have you on our podcast today to talk about it. And we can't wait to bring you back about all the other endocrinopathies that we get to deal with on a daily basis. Of which there are myriads. So plenty of, <laughs> plenty of, uh, it's a very deep body of water to, to tap into. And we would love to have you back and get more of your wisdom. Oh, thanks so much. And if you guys want to hear more of Dahlia and Michael and myself, please like and subscribe to our channel. We have lots of great, 
great interviews and uh, episodes coming up and we'll see you next week for some more informative oncology. Oncology snacks. <laughs> oncology snacks. Snacks of oncology. Have a great week.